With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, it's Dan Lobby, and welcome to our Friday Roundtable edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It features Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Lamery, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, and me. We are doing a wide receiver draft today to wrap up Bark Week on Odell Beckham Jr. We're going to see where Odell Beckham ends up. We end up picking 20 receivers, and we're going to see where Odell Beckham ends up on that list. And then we also kick around uh, some topics about Jarvis Landry at the end. So here we go, our Friday roundtable, the wide receiver draft edition. Away we go on our wide receiver draft, our Friday roundtable. Call it our, our Friday draft roundtable or something. I don't know. We do drafts every week, and this week we are doing wide receivers, of course, as part of Bark Week to figure out exactly where we would pick Odell Beckham Jr. in a draft of every NFL wide receiver. So here's our draft order. Mary Kay is first. I'm second. Doug is third. Scott is fourth. Ellis is fifth, as determined by the high technology of a random number generator. Mary Kay, why don't you get us started? Who's your first pick in the draft? I'm probably going to make this pretty easy. I think it's probably pretty obvious, except for I might get a little pushback from Ellis, but (laughs) I'm going with Devontae Adams, Green Bay Packers, 115 catches, 1,374 yards in 2020, and 18 touchdowns, 18. Uh, Obviously, uh, great in the playoffs, great combo uh, with Aaron. He's my number one. That's why at first, anybody else, anybody want to push back on that? I know we're going to have to be making picks here moving forward. So maybe that's the pushback, but I had Devontae Adams first. That's why I would have gone number one overall there. Uh, I have written down here, one thirty six nine rating when targeted uh, the best of any player with over 100 targets. Uh, so, and only one drop. So this was a guy that was really good this year and has been really good um, for a little while. Assuming there are listeners out there who have our non-quarterback draft in front of them, and they're going to check if the people in this draft (laughs) are stick by what they said in the non-quarterback draft. I have a terrible memory, but I'm going to try to do that. So I push back because I have my guy who is a different kind of dude. I said in that draft that he's not really a receiver, but I would still take Tyreek Hill number one here if I had had the number one pick. Real quickly, Doug and I agree there. Uh, Just put... On Devontae Adams, you can't go wrong with it, of course. The the 18 touchdowns is just absurd. And when you watch those Packer games, whether it's from my own two eyes or the plethora of text messages my Wisconsin friends send me, the way they just target and use Devontae Adams near the red zone, um, he is 
such an underrated runner with the football. You know, they just could throw him quick smoke screens and he can shut off a DB and he's picking up eight, 10 yards falling into the end zone. He, he's really a complete package aside from the numbers of him just being a downfield separator. If it's behind the line of the scrimmage, midfield or vertical, he attacks at all three levels. So you can't go wrong with him at one. Okay. So at number two, and I knew, I knew Doug, cause I remember that non quarterback draft. He took Tyree kill early. So I knew he was sitting there on top of Doug's big board, but I'm not going to steal him here. What I am going to do is I'm going to make Ellis very sad. Wow. I think I'm actually, I'm going to take Stefan Diggs here at number two. I think what he did going to Buffalo and turning Josh Allen you know, really helping Josh Allen take that next step. I think that speaks volumes to how good he is. He was the fourth highest graded receiver on PFF, a 117 and a half rating when targeted. 73 first down catches, which was second in the league to Devontae Adams, third in DYAR on football outsiders. And he led the league in receiving yards, second in yards per game. And this was the third year in a row. He was over 1,000 yards. The only issue I have, seven drops this year. But what he did going to Buffalo and helping transform that offense and that quarterback into, you know, top offenses, top quarterbacks, I think that speaks to how good Stefan Diggs really is. Are there other guys you could take here? And there's other guys that I like here on this list that I was thinking about taking. But I think Stefan Diggs earned this distinction with the season he had after also the career he's had in Minnesota. Yeah, I, need I a love moment of silence here. Everyone take five seconds for Ellis. <laughs> Sorry, bro. I, hey, I would have been offended if he would have got to me at five. So, of course, I love the pick here at two for everything Dan laid out. And his career early on here in Minnesota, it was electric. The Vikings able to get him in the middle to late rounds. And I always thought he projected a lot like Antonio Brown. Um, I was able to work the Vikings training camp in 2016, which would have been like his third or fourth year. And every day before practice, I would make sure I was set up right where the wide receivers and DBs would run one-on-ones. It's all I wanted to watch. And Stefan torched every single DB on the Vikings roster. And that was when Xavier Rhodes was playing at an all-pro level. Some of the stuff he did to Xavier day in and day out was ridiculous. He's been a carbon copy of Antonio Brown since day one to me, and he finally proved it this year. Hard to believe this is his first Pro Bowl season, but yeah. but it really is, uh, you know, because we just think of him in that regard for, you know, for all of these years. Uh, but this was the first time he was able to actually make the Pro Bowl. I think it's interesting. All of this stuff with the receivers, with some guys, you get caught in between a little bit of like, how much is them? How much is the quarterback they play with? How much is the system they're in? How much is opportunity that they get? But there are a couple guys that we're going to pick who have played for more than one team. And Diggs, in, in a system in Minnesota where he was, they had two good receivers, right? He was one of them. They were they were competent at quarterback, right? But they weren't spectacular. And he was very good. And then when he went to a team where he was the featured receiver and he had a guy who could throw it, he was unbelievable. So I think it, it was like, well, this guy has done it in both places. And he raised his level and raised his team's level when he went to somewhere new. And it's a confirmation of what you saw, I think, in Minnesota and the next step. And that some of these guys... You know, we're going to end up picking a couple guys that are like, well, he's only ever been here and they use him this way. But if you plugged a different guy in there, would another guy be just as good? Stefan Diggs is about Stefan Diggs. He is doing this stuff. And in one of those stupid things, right? I, you know, Ellis, you mentioned watching him in Minnesota. 
you know, randomly, I ended up with him on a fantasy football team a couple of years ago. And just every week you see him put up those numbers <laughs> and, yep. you know, we, we always joke about fantasy football, but sometimes that's how you kind of realize how good a guy is. If, if you aren't completely aware, you just, every week you're checking in on him. He's just putting up numbers, putting up numbers. Uh, and, and that's sort of, that was sort of my awakening to Stefan Diggs. All right, Doug, I think I know what the pick is here at number three, but go ahead. Yeah. He's the number one guy on my board, Tyreek Hill. He's different. He's special. His raw, you know, the numbers aren't quite Maybe, you know, PFF grade or even total receiving yards aren't at the top of the list, but he's different. He's my guy. I'll take him at three. Yeah, I don't know how we let Doug land his guy. <laughs> we knew this was coming, but the draft keeps blessing Doug week in and week out. Did anybody else have Tyree kill number one? I'm just curious. How I did. LSU did? Yep. I bet I had him lower than everybody else here. Interesting. But I'll, I'll explain my board when it gets to my pick, but Doug's going to be really disappointed where I had Tyree kill ranked. Do tell. Why don't you tell us now? Adam Rake, ninth. Wow. Ninth. Ninth. Do you think some of what he he does is a function of playing in the Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy offense with Patrick Mahomes? Maybe. But the way I did my board, I, I kind of I'm going to be the voice of analytics in this draft. I took PFF grade, and I took DYAR, which if you've read enough of our stuff on Cleveland.com or listened to our podcast. It's very similar to DVOA. It's basically an efficiency metric. It's overall value. Took both of those rankings, matched them together, kind of aggregated and came up with my rankings. I kind of adjusted for injury and stuff like that. But Tyree Kill um, ends up further down the list on this. He was 17th in PFF grade, seventh in DYAR, probably lower than you would imagine. He wasn't great uh, as far as efficiency goes in catching. He was targeted a ton. I think he had 13 drops. Um, which didn't help his cause, but obviously he's very explosive. He's very dynamic, but in, in my big board, he just, he just fell. Freaking blame, blame, blame the numbers, man. <laughs> I was just going to say. I'm it's just a, a messenger. <laughs> it's a fascinating argument as the got to watch the tape crew here disagrees, but it's like, it, that's where it's at. It's, it's the analytics versus the eye tests and landing in the middle probably puts Tyreek Hill a little higher than nine. But when you have data like that, what are we supposed to say? No, and yeah, it's think, interesting. I mean, it's if you want like a big body number one receiver for a certain kind of offense, I mean, he wouldn't. If you lined up a bunch right. of dudes, he wouldn't be the guy that you picked compared to some other guys. Sorry, Dan. I think the interesting thing about Tyreek, too, is there's probably a world where he ends up somewhere where he's not used the way he is in Kansas City, where right. he's not, not the problem he is with all the motion and uh, all the different things he does pre-snap and at the snap. Maybe he ends up somewhere where they just tell him, hey, run deep all day and he's not quite the same player that, that we think he is so you know as with every player in the league I think they benefit from the system they're in and Tyreek Hill certainly you know his talent level combined with what they do in Kansas City has made him here I had him third on my board Mary Kay I had him third on my board too and I and I think that Doug made a a great point earlier when he said as I went through this and I was trying to rank these guys I kept grappling with the whole notion of are you that same player if I take you away from Patrick are you the same player if I take you away from Josh Allen or if I take you away from Tom Brady? And so I, you know, and, and the other thing was, as I made up this board, I'm thinking, am I projecting into what I think these guys might be capable of in 2021? Because as we mentioned, we have to completely do our whole quarterback draft over again. There is such a quarterback carousel going on in the NFL right now. Uh, and who knows where it's all going to stop. So, so this big board, 
uh, we're probably going to have to do this one all over again, too, because these guys are going to end up with uh, completely different quarterbacks and they could be completely different players in 2021. Okay, Scott, go ahead. You're up at number four. And by the way, I did that. My board did have Devontae Adams first. He was first in PFF grade, first in DYR, and uh, Stefan Diggs was third, which means my number two guy is still there. It's Justin Jefferson of the Vikings. So I'll take him here. My gosh, I'm getting just destroyed this morning. That's why, that's why I don't do morning podcasts, you guys. Ouch. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 1,400 yards, only 88 catches. I mean, he did a lot with, uh, with not as many targets as a lot of the other guys we're going to be mentioning here and really had a strong argument for rookie of the year. Yeah, so Scott can handle the numbers, and I'll just talk the tape. This kid has it all. I mean, he is first just as a – physical specimen he's longer and taller than you realize his arms his catch radius is ridiculous uh and then when you turn the tape on uh, his breaks his cuts his releases he gets in and out of those intermediate routes his stop starts i was blown away by what he was doing for the vikings this year uh, broke all of randy moss's rookie records randy's a freak that's not what i'm trying to say but as a technical receiver and a route runner justin jefferson is so far ahead of his peers in his class and the data all agrees with that. And he goes in the first round. Um, I was convinced I'd get him on the way back. Great pick, Scott. He was the fifth wide receiver drafted Yeah, last year. Mm-hmm. I struggled with where to put him because like you mentioned, Scott, I mean, what I've got here, obviously, second highest receiving grade on PFF, second in DYAR, you know, third in yardage, seven games over 100 receiving yards. I aired a little bit on veterans over him. So I had him a little lower on my board. But just looking at everything that we just threw out there, it's hard to argue picking him here just based on what he did his rookie season. I had him really high as well. I had him number five on my board. I just, I, th- I think the world of him, I think these LSU receivers just come out so ready to play. And I also think that this makes a case for, there are so many good receivers in this draft that, that I, I think that Justin Jefferson, uh, if the Browns decided they were going to, go in a different direction and try to make a trade for Odell. I think that that Justin Jefferson is the poster boy for, uh, for a reason to think about doing that. Uh, but the guy taken right before him, Jalen Ragor or Jalen Rager is the guy is the poster boy for maybe just keeping what you have <laughs> and not, and not taking that risk. All right. Ellis, you. Uh, Ellis you, that's true. Ellis, you've been sitting here waiting You've had two Minnesota guys or a former Minnesota guy and a current Minnesota guy off the board. So I don't know. Your big board is probably in shambles right now. So let's see what you can do here at the end of the first round. In shambles, I feel attacked. I'd like to file (laughs) a a complaint to make an amendment that this should be a snake draft. The only way I recover from this is making back-to-back picks. (laughs) I know I will get vetoed on that. So I will digress and table that. And perhaps I need to reach a little bit here on just athletic ability but I'm confident with the pick. So I'm going to take DK Metcalf, the Seahawks. It, look, when you look at the athlete, you, it's self-explanatory. He had the most deep yards of any receiver in the league, close to 500. Is that a product of Russell Wilson holding on to the ball? Perhaps, but it also shows his ability to get downfield, separate, uh, turn on the tape this year when he took on 2019 Defensive Player of the Year, Stephon Gilmore of the Patriots shredded him for two deep scores people don't get deep on bill belichick it's it, it, it's bill belichick mary Kay can tell you probably about those browns defenses you don't get beat 
when Bill Belichick's coaching you up and he shredded him. Um, also, I believe it was 17 broken tackles. He's a lot like Devontae Adams, underrated with the ball in his hands. Like he's not awkward and bulky and, and strange when he's carrying the football. He's a, impossible to bring down because he's agile. And of course, the, the size makes him a, a racehorse in open field. So um, both for a future season and then if we're building for, for the future, I mean, I think DK Metcalf, along with Justin Jefferson, has a great argument to say, you know, they got next when it comes to who's going to be the next number one receiver after Stephon Diggs and the Devonta Adams class um, ages out in, you know, three, four years. I like where Ellis's head is here because Ellis, this is a different pick, right? I mean, who's like DK Metcalf? He, right. That's he's very special in what he brings to the table. I am curious about this. Who's the number one receiver in Seattle? And, it's and so it, go ahead. I'll, I I asked a question. I'll let you answer it. No, I I would believe it's Metcalf. I think Russell Wilson gets those eyes for Metcalf, but. Uh, pulling Tyler Lockett away or saying 1A and 1B. I think there's another team that has a similar argument like that. I, I, I get your point. Yeah, I, and I struggle with that. Again, of all the things, I struggle with a lot of things. But in the thing of this, is like, okay, well, does is DK Metcalf allowed to be DK Metcalf because Tyler Lockett is, like, so solid? And if DK had to be the guy, would he be the same, right? I mean, whereas we have some other guys on this board still who are clearly the guy on yep. their team. And there, and there's an interesting argument coming up. I think I know the team you're thinking about with two guys that it's very hard to splice, but that enters my thinking a little bit, which is why I would have DK a little bit lower because I wonder if you put the passing game on his back, what would happen, but man, he's special and he's different. Um, on my board, right above Tyree, or Tyree kill um, on my Sashi Brown commemorative analytics. You said eight, board. Scott. Uh, eight. Yeah. All right. I had him eighth as well. I had DK Metcalf eighth. Uh, you know, I just, I remember just even talking to him, uh, you know, at, at the combine, you know, seeing the guy in person. I mean, he just looks like a, uh, he looks like a linebacker or a defensive end or something like that. He is just a freak of nature. I just think he's a load to try to cover. I, I really like him a lot. Yeah. I like the name of uh, Scott's draft board too. <laughs> Staying loyal to the data. I'm going to wait to add to this pick because I think the guy that I might end up taking is related to, uh, to, uh, to DK here. So Mary Kay, get us started in the second round. Our first round recap, Devonte Adams, first Stefan Diggs, second Tyree kill third, Justin Jefferson, fourth DK Metcalf fifth. So Mary Kay pick number six here, kicking off the second round. You know, I have a feeling that a lot of, a lot of you guys are going to think that I'm going way high on, on this pick, uh, but I'm going to go with Mike Evans here he wasn't real super high in terms of, uh, you know, the analytics piece. Uh, but I do think that there's something to be said for a thousand yards and 13 touchdowns. He was also 13th in, in the NFL in passer rating at 126.8 when targeted, uh, had seven 70 catches and was very, very instrumental in a, in a big Super Bowl campaign. And I, I think that means something. And like I said, I put a premium on touchdown catches. It just, it always bothers me when you have this amazing receiver doing all these other great things, but not scoring the football. Okay. In my opinion, that should be way, way high on the list of, of things. I love this pick. Uh, you know, when I was going through and putting together my big board, because his year wasn't quite like years past, he was down a little bit in some areas where you looked, you know, whether it was on PFF football outside and just on the stat sheet, he was down a little bit. But Mike Evans is a problem. And we saw it. Here, here's what really stands out to me about Evans. Okay. 
first of all, he's been fantastic his whole career ever since he came in the league. Maybe the best receiver out of that draft. Now there's another guy in that draft who you know we're doing this whole podcast about who might argue with that. You know, he's been fantastic his whole career, but uh, 119 yards in the win over Washington in the playoffs. But how about this? Over his last three games, projects to over 1,700 yards in the regular season. That's what he had over his last three games. And then he hurt his knee in week 17. And he wasn't quite the same in the playoffs, but he still had that big game against Washington, scored a touchdown uh, in, the, in the next two playoff games for the Bucs. I think Mike Evans is going to have a big year next year with Tom Brady. I think they'll be on the same page a little more. And I think we're going to see that, that old Mike Evans who can put up 1,400, 1,500 yards and be one of the best receivers in football. He was one of the guys who had the biggest discrepancy in, in rankings on my board. He was like 44th in PFF grade. He was fourth in DYAR. So he's a very efficient guy. He wasn't getting, again, the, the kind of overall numbers you, you expect, but uh, he was making the most of, of the, the targets he was getting. So it was just a weird gap there between the two, uh, the two measurements. I love this position so much real quick. I love this position so much. I'm probably going to ask Scott each pick to be like, Hey Scott, what's the analytics? What's the data say about this guy? Cause I'm so glad he did it. set it up this way. Dan, you, you highlighted one thing about Mike Evans that is going to be something I bring up once another names call. But to me, there's something about his injury history. And I know he played all 16 games this year, but this is where fantasy football comes in where you remember um, some strange games and I'm pulling them up now. One catch in week six for 10 yards, two catches for two yards in week three. And these are things where it's like, I don't know if that was injury or if that was just a part of the offense. Cause you know, only 1006 yards this year playing with Tom Brady. And then in 2019, he plays 13 games, uh, 1100 yards, catching balls from Jameis Winston who threw for 5,000 that year. So there is just something about Mike Evans where there's some always seems to be a little hamstring here, a little rolled ankle here, and he's tough as hell. He plays through it, but it, it hinders his, his ability on the field. And I think his numbers get a little bit suppressed for that. So I think we have to bake injuries into this when we do it. And, you know, one game take all, like you laid out those playoff things. He's a problem. He's a mismatch. Um, but there's just something about the injuries, which has same with another guy. We're going to talk about it while we're doing this pot in class, like you said, where it just seems to be a reoccurring problem. And there's, it's gotta be a tough adjustment to go from the style yeah. of quarterback that Jameis Winston is to Tom Brady. They're, they're just two different quarterbacks. Tom Brady's the greatest of all time, obviously a much better quarterback than Winston, but Jameis is looking to get those big chunks down the field over and over and over again. And he's going to throw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. Tom wants you in the right place at the right time. And it's timing, it's rhythm. It's, you know, don't, don't run the wrong route. Don't screw up on me. And I think there's an adjustment there to playing with those two different quarterbacks. All right. Boy, I've got some guys to choose from. I really like here. There's two guys I'm looking at. I'm going to go with the guy I mentioned earlier, just because I want to have the discussion point with DK Metcalf. I actually think I would take this guy ahead of DK Metcalf. I'm going to go with AJ Brown. I love his size, six foot, 226, uh, third highest receiving grade on PFF, a 132.2 rating when targeted, 6.2 yards per reception after the catch, which is the highest among PFF's top 18 receiving grades, second highest in the top 28, and consecutive 1,000-yard seasons to start his career. Has had some drop issues, so has DK. I, I think you can't go wrong with either of those guys. I probably would have taken A.J. Brown ahead of DK, but I like both those guys. And so I'm going to take AJ Brown here at number seven. So there's a philosophical thing happening here 
that I don't know that I'm on board with. There are some incredibly established older receivers still on the board. And there's a couple young guys that have gone. And I think this is one of these positions where, I mean, again, we're not, we're not doing past rewards here, but as you project forward, I don't know if we're leaning young a little bit. I don't know. I mean, what AJ, AJ Brown's skins on the wall in the NFL, I mean, can't compare at all to a couple guys who are still out there who are still doing it at a high level. So I would not have him this high. And I wouldn't have Mike Evans that high. Mike Evans is different. Mike Evans is actually a good young veteran. He's got like seven years in the league, but isn't in his thirties yet. I just think we're, I think we're looking past some guys who have done it for a little bit of upside so far. I don't think AJ Brown is at the level of some guys still out there. I I had a veteran here. I was going to pick. And I'm sure his name is going to come up here soon. So I'll, I'll let you know when, I, when we get to that guy. But it was between this veteran and A.J. Brown. And I did go with kind of the younger guy and, and kind of that new breed of, you know, that D.K. Metcalf style, A.J. Brown style, a tight end in a receiver's body that runs like a receiver, catches like a receiver, all of that stuff. Yeah, it, I hear where Doug's coming from. And the only pushback I would have on it, and I don't even know if I completely agree, except it does scare me, is there seems to be a trend at this position where, when it's over, it's over. Like the wheels just fall off. Like I'll name two guys that probably aren't going to get drafted. So it won't hurt the, where we're going with this. But I mean, just look at AJ green in, in Cincinnati or T Y Hilton this year, you know, they had, there were some flashes, but when it's gone, it's gone. And that would be the only reason I'd worry or prefer these younger guys at this position uh, because they're popping way earlier than usual. And then of course, you're not going to worry about just a random drop off uh, like the two vets I just named. Okay, let's go ahead and move on. Doug, who do you have at eight? Yeah, I'm going to stick to what I think on this. I think I could let this guy go another round and nobody would take him. So if I if this was a fantasy draft and I was trying to strategize and be like, whatever, I'd wait. But I'm just going to take the guy because I think he deserves to go here. It's Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas in 2017, 18, and 19 in receiving yards in the league, he was sixth, sixth, and third. In 17, 18, and 19 in PFF grade, he was third, second, and third. He was kind of hurt. He was kind of cranky. His quarterback's arm fell off and he had a weird year. He was the best receiver in the NFL for like three years in a row before this most recent season. I know, by the way, the slant boy thing that got brought up on the other thing, <laughs> I ne- I did not realize that that was Ohio State on Ohio State crime. That yeah. totally got past me. Malcolm Jenkins, again, is maybe one of the, he's definitely one of the five favorite guys I've ever covered at Ohio State that he dropped that bomb right on Michael Thomas's head. I love Michael Thomas because I think he's a very swaggerific, confident guy, has some diva, but I don't think over the top diva. But knowing Malcolm and Michael having covered them, I totally get both sides of that. Slant boy, it or does hurt my heart. It does also, it hurts my heart a little bit, but I don't buy it. I mean, I don't buy it. The guy's production is off the freaking charts. And I just saw a PF thing, PFF thing the other day that he's like in the top three in the league in number of catches, like on contested catches that he doesn't have the raw speed. I know that when he came out at the combine, he doesn't test like some guys test great hands, great routes, great technique. If you throw him the ball, he's going to catch it. He is a true number one receiver, not special elite natural skills like Tyree kill or DK Metcalf. Right. But just like, I want to throw that ball to the guy to win a game when it's on the line. And I am not holding this past year against him very much. And if you don't hold 2020 against him and he's still young, 
He was one of the best three receivers in the league for the three years before that. So at eight, I just think it's an absolute bargain. But I bet you if I would have waited, I might have gotten him at 13. No. No? Okay, then I feel better about taking him. I had him at number seven, okay? I had him at number seven, and I, I went back and forth between Mike Evans and Michael Thomas when I had to pick at number six. And I have them I, – I have them written down right here. We're on a podcast. You can't see it. But it's uh, – that's how I had those guys. The reason – why I put Mike Evans. And again, we didn't put any parameters on this draft. We didn't say, this is what we think these guys might do in 2021. We didn't say, this is what we think these guys would do on an Island if they were all by themselves, or this is what we think they would do if they're with Tom Brady for the rest of their career. So there are just different ways to look at this, but I think I bumped Mike Evans up a little bit because I envision him repeating this performance next year with Tom Brady. Whereas with Michael Thomas, we have no idea. Maybe it'll be Russell Wilson now and he'll exceed expectations. But I think that was part of it. I factored in that the projection into next year, not knowing who he's going to be working with. Yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, Scott, what does the data say? Well, the data, uh, actually, I, he was way down the list because he didn't play as much. Um, okay. His numbers were down and he was one of the guys I, I had to put somewhere myself. So I moved him up to 11. I had him right above Mike Evans. Uh, I just kind of had to figure that out on my own, but I knew Michael Tom, actually I wrote down Michael Thomas's name and I put a dash and I put Doug because I knew Doug was going to draft him. <laughs> I just knew it. I didn't even worry about, you know, thinking where I would take him really. I knew Doug was going to take him somewhere. So, but he was 11 and that was all me putting him there. Once again, the data checks out. Yeah, I have I have regrets because, and I'm actually glad you brought up Mike Evans because I feel like these are similar picks, right? We're kind of banking on what they've been before this past season. I, I feel bad because I have my my big board here, and then I have a little category where I don't have as much info about guys, and I just have guys I like. Colin, and he's in that group. And I probably should have put a little more work into Michael Thomas and had him actually on my board with some info and, and things like that. Okay, Scott, you are up with pick number nine. All right, so this is probably going to be a curveball, but again, I'm, I'm going by my list here. Adam Thielen of the Vikings, sixth in PFF grade, ninth in DYAR. Even last season when he was hurt, he was uh, seventh among receivers with less than 50 targets in DYAR, so he, he's been efficient. 120.5 passer rating for Cousins when he targets him, catches 70% of the passes thrown his way. He had a good year, so he's my, he's my guy here. You got both the Vikings, right? I do. That's lovely. I'm glad. I'm glad you did it for me. Um, Thielen's a stud. He's just an absolute stud. Uh, hometown kid. Went to a Division two school. Forty minutes from where I'm sitting right now. This whole state loves him. Uh, he scored 14 touchdowns this year. Like for a 5'10", good route runner, a guy perceived as a slot guy. He scores touchdowns, and he does on the outside. He does on the inside. He makes difficult catches. I think two or three of his scores were one-handers this year, and not in like a highlight sense. It's like that was the only way he was going to catch the football. He had to do it, and he made the play. Really reminiscent of Odell Beckham. Some of those touchdowns in New York, I think Odell in the corner of the end zone versus the Eagles, just one hand, and it gets into your body. They're comfortable making those plays. Um, Thielen's a stud. I know when Kevin Stefanski joined the Browns, I compared Thielen to Jarvis Landry. And I'm glad we're, this is a clear cut. Like Thielen's just a better receiver than Jarvis Landry. Jarvis is an incredible football player, um, but there's a little, there's a little bit more explosiveness to Thielen's game. And clearly I endorse this pick. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't argue with it. Probably wouldn't have been the guy that I took here, but 
I, I had him sort of in this range. So this is uh, this is a good spot for him. Okay, Ellis, number 10. I'm going to look, look. All right, let's have this conversation. It's for every reason why Doug likes Michael Thomas and what he laid out there. I agreed with it when we're splitting hairs between Michael Thomas and Mike Evans, I'll take the production. I'll take the reliability. I know Thomas missed this year, but just that volume, uh, I'm a sucker for it, which is really explains why I'm taking this guy right here in my fantasy football. This league this year, I traded Josh Allen for this guy in a two quarterback league. So quarterbacks are pretty valuable and it was a terrible pick, but this guy is one of the best receivers to ever play. And I think he still has it. I'm taking Antonio Brown, his releases, his ability after the catch, his just resume of a hundred catch seasons. I think it was seven or eight of them in a row close to 1900 yards one year at his peak. I think he showed this year in Tampa. He still has it much like Mike Evans, his numbers suppressed due to playing with Tom Brady and a spread it around offense. People might think he's washed. I think they haven't watched enough of the tape. He still has it. He, he like a Terrell O. Owens or a Chad Ochocinco, this guy is always in peak condition. He's always working out. Um, the league will be done with him before he should be done with the league. But if we're going for one more season, I want Antonio Brown on my team. He's a Hall of Famer and a bona fide playmaker and scored in the Super Bowl. I'm going to ask a question. Oh, when we when some other guys get drafted, I'm going to ask a question about why you picked Antonio Brown ahead of some of those other guys. I, I'm not going to disagree with your premise here, but I'm curious about sort of lumping guys in groups of type of players. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, you know, I loved Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh. He hadn't, you know, played really well coming back this year for Tampa. I didn't have him on my, on my list. Wow. 20, 20 plus guys here. I didn't have him on my list. Am I the only one that didn't? Did you, did anyone else not even have him on their list? I had him on my list. He was, he wasn't this high though, but I mean, Ellis makes a good case. He was 11th in PFF grade you know, I, I, for playing basically half the season. I would not have taken him. And also, again, as Mary Kay said, there's no parameters here. Parameters here. I'm not sure I want this guy on my team. Fair. Like, if my yeah. quarterback's not Tom Brady, is he going to be a dingleberry? I don't know. Like, again, I, I, like that. And how do you factor that in? I'm not sure how we're supposed to factor that in. But in a coin toss with some other talented guys who I think aren't like that, I would lean toward the other guys. And I can't argue that. You're, that you're just, <laughs> that's accurate. Analytics right, doesn't factor that in. There we go. <laughs> I had him number 12. I had him, I had him 12th on my board just from sheer ability. I didn't necessarily factor in the off the field stuff because you never know when a guy is going to be able to get it together. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sensitive to that kind of whole issue. I did put him on my board and I had him pretty high. Mary Kay, let's kick us off here in the third round real quick. Second round. Uh, Mike Evans went sixth, A.J. Brown seventh, Doug took Michael Thomas eighth, Scott Adam Thielen ninth, and Ellis just took Antonio Brown. Hey, it's Dan. We're going to take a quick break, and I'm going to tell you about Football Insider, where you can subscribe to get exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com slash browns. You also get a newsletter every single day with exclusive content that's written by Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, or me. It goes right to your inbox. That stuff doesn't show up anyplace else on the site. You get that every single day, including on the weekends, 
in your inbox. That's just for our Football Insider subscribers. And then there's our texting, where Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, and I will text you throughout the day with news and analysis. We do Q&As. We answer questions. We have opportunities to come on the podcast and make picks. We do roundtables, all sorts of fun things with our texters, and we're going to start putting together some stuff for you to enjoy here in the offseason. So all you need to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a big blue banner at the top of the page. Click on that banner. Get all the information you need, get yourself signed up, and get yourself access to all of that exclusive content that we have available only for our Football Insider subscribers. Okay, back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, we are drafting wide receivers. We are about to start round number three. Mary Kay, kick us off the 11th pick. All right, we're starting to get into, I think, that territory where we could be uh, talking about the guy that we are all here to talk about today. But I have to stay true to my board. I really feel like I need to go with somebody that I had a little bit higher here uh, than, I, than I had Odell. Uh, not much higher. Well, actually, a little bit, you know, yeah, five spaces higher uh, at least. So I'm going with DeAndre Hopkins here. Uh, 115 catches. 1,407 yards, six touchdowns, a 110 rating uh, when targeted, only had one drop. And this is in a adjustment. We talk about that adjustment to a new quarterback to only drop one pass uh, when you've been targeted 154 times and you're dealing and you're working with a new quarterback. Uh, I I think that's pretty remarkable. Uh, I like the rating. I don't love the touchdowns. Like I said, I'm big on the touchdown, so I don't love that he only caught six touchdown passes, but just in terms of sheer, raw, natural ability, I really like him. Why is he still on the board here? He's sixth in PFF grade this year. He's fourth on my list. This is the guy I'm talking about. What are we doing? Right. How is this guy not a first round pick? If Tyree Kill was off the board, I would have taken him third. He's fourth on my list. I have no idea. Why is A.J. Brown ahead of this guy? Why is Adam Thielen ahead of this guy? Antonio Brown's 32 has been, hasn't played a real full season in two years. DeAndre Hopkins, 28. He's put it up every year. He's changed teams and done it both places. He's a clear number one receiver. He does it all. This is an absolute insult that this guy won 11th. Did people forget about him? He's fourth on my board and I got my number one guy at three and my number three guy at eight. So that's why I didn't take him. Why didn't people take him? I'll tell you what. I forgot about him at number six. I thought he was gone because I had him number four on my board. So I completely forgot about him. He should have 100% been my number six uh, instead of Mike Evans. So I'm just correcting a draft a war room mistake that I made there because like I said, I've got Devonte Adams, number one, Stefan Diggs, number two, Tyreek Hill, number three, and Deandre Hopkins, number four, then Justin Jefferson, number five. So when I got to uh, my pick, I just, I thought he was gone. I was looking at the wrong list. I was looking at my own list and I, I didn't realize he was still there. I had to look four times when I just made this pick just now because I couldn't believe that he was still there. All right. Mary Kay's off the hook. Mary Kay's off the hook. You other three. Why didn't you pick him before? I mean, I had him on my board. I was going to take him or AJ Brown at my last pick. And I decided to go with the young guy in Brown. But I I mean, it was going to be one of those two. And then if Mary Kay didn't take him, I was going to take him there. I almost got him. I almost got him and AJ Brown. (laughs) Ellis. Yeah. 
Why did you take Antonio Brown instead of DeAndre Hopkins? For me, it, it's personal preference. I think Antonio Brown is the ability to play anywhere, to catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage, and his history gave him a, a slight nudge there. Touchdowns, too, only six and seven the past two years. Uh, touchdowns is also an issue for another vet we're probably going to talk about soon, still on the board. DeAndre Hopkins is probably is the better receiver. Like right now, I get that. Drafting my team, it's not going to be defensible. If we were putting this on Twitter, I'd get blown up. I, I can own that. But when I'm looking at my roster, I would have been disappointed if Antonio Brown wasn't on my team. I admitted I traded Josh Allen in a fantasy football league for him. Like I, <laughs> I, I admitted I was making a mistake, but it's just I'm obsessed with that player. He's I think he's the best to ever do it. The poster on the bedroom wall theory of Ellis Williams reasoning has worked for him in the past. So I get it. Scott Patsko. There has not been one snap of one football game in their entire careers when DeAndre Hopkins and Adam Thielen have stepped on a football field and Adam Thielen has been a better receiver or football player than DeAndre Hopkins. The numbers let based, you down, my friend. Based on what? Based on based being on a human being. Popularity and, and, and flashy, bright lights. and uh, Based what? on what? Yards? We as stats, a franchise. Production? Success? We as a franchise did not believe that DeAndre Hopkins was a top 10 wide receiver. He wasn't ranked that high. That's why I didn't take him. Where, where's he ranked, ranked then? He's ranked 14th. He oh. was 19th in DYAR. He was 38th in DVOA, by the way. Richard Higgins, if you've read what, my story this week, third, which might just bring that whole metric crashing to the ground, but still. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you a great way, a great way to get fired as a GM is to pick Richard Higgins over DeAndre Hopkins. There you go. <laughs> Right. I'm just I'm just following the numbers here, man. I love analytics. This is making me hate analytics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying let's DeAndre Hopkins up, isn't good. He's just not ranked as high as these other guys. That's he's all. just let's no call, Adam let's call, Joe, let's call up Joe Hayden who had a front row seat to that Christmas Day catch a couple years ago and see what he thinks of DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> and how good he is. Okay, well this is it. Pick number twelve. And you guys can see it right here. I am, I am sticking to my board. I don't know if you can see that. I have all those names crossed out. And there's two names here on my first sheet. And the, the only name that's not crossed out right here is Odell Beckham. So I'm going to stick to my board. And I'm going to do it right here at number 12. I'm going to take Odell Beckham. Obviously, I think there are receivers on my board below him who have been more productive based on health and things like that. There are guys like... Uh, you know, just to give you an idea of some guys on my board that I maybe would consider over him here, you know, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Um, there's really not anybody else I'm looking at on my board that I would say, yeah, I'd absolutely take him over Odell Beckham. I've got Allen Robinson on here as well. I, I just think at this pick here at number 12, if, if I get the Odell Beckham of, you know, his best years in New York, and that is a very big if, then I just got to steal at number 12. So this is where I'm taking him. That's the question. Right? That's the question. Are you getting the Odell Beckham of New York? And this is, again, this was the parameters of this discussion. This is not a, should the Browns trade Odell Beckham Jr. discussion. This is not a, this is a ranking him and receivers. I don't, I, this is too high. I think this is, now, the other thing is, you, we're starting to get into the lump. And we're starting to get in, into the lump of like, a lot of guys who are good and who probably could have between like 900 and 1100 yards receiving in the right situation with the right quarterback for the right team. And Odell Beckham Jr. is above the lump, right? I mean, the guy's special. The guy has some attributes that make him rare. 
but every year we get further away from that version of him and it it makes it a little harder to pull the trigger i think i think this is high i think this there's a, a few more guys still that i would rely upon and maybe it's unfair based on injury maybe it's unfair based on adjustment to an offense but I just think there are more sure things still out there. And that's the hard thing about Odell. Cause how do you, how do you mix upside potential injury reliability? Sure thing. And I just think there's a few too quite many question marks still right now. Do you guys agree too high? No, Dan, I, I had him, as I mentioned before, if uh, Deandre Hopkins had been off the board there, I would have picked him. I would have picked Odell at number 11. And the reason why I say that, is because I think when I look at Odell, I'm looking at sheer, raw, natural ability. And I think he's different in the same way that Tyreek Hill is different. Uh, I I think he is an athletic freak. Uh, I think he can do so many things for you on the football field. And if I were building a team and I had to pick a wide receiver, uh, there are not probably more than 10 receivers in the NFL that I would rather have than him right now, but health is a factor. You know, I mean, he's got to come back healthy and that's been uh, his problem over the last few years. So we really don't know uh, if, if he's going to come back and be the receiver that he can be, but going on the assumption that he recovers really well from this torn ACL, I think he is still that receiver that we've always seen before. The problem is this particular offense doesn't necessarily lend itself to one guy having 112 catches. It's just not set up that way. I think he's capable of that somewhere, just in the same way that Stephon Diggs was capable of going to Buffalo and having that kind of a season. I think Odell still has that in him, but he's running out of time. The sand is coming down through the hourglass and these injuries are, are not, they're taking it their toll for sure. Uh, But I still just think from, and maybe I've got the poster, you know, maybe I've got the po- Ellis poster syndrome going on. Uh, you know, maybe I've got that catch in my mind. Uh, but I've just seen him make so many incredible catches throughout his career. I just put him up there in that elite class of receivers that actually has Hall of Fame potential. He had Hall of Fame potential if he didn't run into this uh, injury snag that he hit. That's the type of talent I think he has. Okay, so Ellis and Scott, let me ask you this. If I had I taken Julio Jones or Calvin Ridley or Allen Robinson or, or somebody like that, would you have taken Odell Beckham then in this round? I had too many guys still left on my board above him, but I did have him 15th, and that was basically just me placing him there because it kind of felt right based on where everybody else fell. I mean, it's just totally projecting forward and wondering if you're going to get a better version of, of Beckham than you got last season. He, he was first or second in pretty much every receiving category uh, when he was injured. And there were things that he really improved on. Uh, Baker's passer rating really improved when he went to Beckham. Beckham caught pretty much every catchable pass that was thrown his way, but we didn't get to see him over the second half of the season when the offense obviously got better. So we, you know, we don't know what that does, what version of Beckham is involved in that, in that Browns offense. So it's all projection and wondering what you're going to get. And that's hard to, to kind of really place, but I mean, it wouldn't have been too far off from where I had him overall. Yeah. Scott said it. I don't think there's been a more difficult player to quantify over these past two seasons than Odell Beckham jr. Perhaps Taysom Hill would be really the only other guy that comes to mind. Like what, 
are they and where are they going? What do they add when they're on the football field? Are they going to be available? How do we use them? How do we maximize them? Those are all the questions that come to mind. We think of Odell Beckham Jr. Get him away from Eli Manning. Things should get better. They got worse. Circumstance, I think, has a lot to do with that. 2019 probably should get thrown out the window, and then he's hurt this year. We've done this dance a million times. But for a lot of what Mary Kay said, I just can't get the Cowboys game out of my head. I mean, the reverse was one of the most spectacular plays of this NFL season. It was the most incredible play I've probably ever seen live. And besides just that, he scored a, a beautiful one-step slant touchdown on that play. I mean, his releases are just ridiculous. And I just got done watching every Browns drop back between weeks two and five with a, a focal point on Odell Beckham Jr. And I still just see quick twitch. I, I still just see explosiveness. For that same reason, I took Antonio Brown. For that same reason, I ride Stephon Diggs. You guys can probably tell the type of receiver I, I, I fall enamored with and that I, I think is best in football it's the twitch it's the guys that just cannot be covered in in small boxes put them in a phone booth and they're going to get open these guys remind you of yourself right is that what it is when you play (laughs) you see yourself in these guys everything i i tried to be right the the verses didn't go as well i can tell you that but to that exact point it's and they're a little taller right we're talking five eleven six feet some guys who could still play on the outside but it's the what are we getting from odell next if the Cowboys game doesn't happen, Dan, to finally answer your question, I probably take those other receivers you just named ahead of them. But because that Cowboys game happened, I can't get it out of my head. And perhaps that's that's the that's the outlier, and that's the type of stuff that gets GMs fired. But I think Odell still has it, and we're we're gonna find out soon because Mary Kay's right; he's running out of time. So, five questions, real quick. First of all, <laughs> just if 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 you put healthy Odell Beckham in the Tyreek Hill spot in the Kansas city offense, do we think he'd do exactly what Tyreek Hill does? If not, I mean, I don't want to say better. How could you say better? But it's like, it's like, all right, he's healthy. He's with Patrick Mahomes. He's mm-hmm. with Eric BNB and Andy Reid. He's with Travis Kelsey. Is that just what he'd be? Cause I'm, I pick Tyreek Hill, not based on PFF, not based on overall numbers based on dude. Who's like that. Right. So, Ellis is making kind of a who a dude who's like that argument about Odell and I buy it on Tyreek, but I'm having trouble buying it on, on, on Odell and I'm trying to check myself. Am I being unfair? I think if you plugged him into the Kansas city offense, you would see with, with Patrick Mahomes, you would see just how special Odell Beckham jr. Still is. I think you would see him do some incredible, amazing things. I think you would see him make amazing catches that other people cannot make and I, I, I still think he would show himself to be that unbelievable elite receiver, which is what he wants to do. I mean, he wants to get with a guy like that, I think. I mean, I think, I think he'd be happy coming back here, too, because he really likes Kevin Stefanski. And I think he, you know, still wants to be with Jarvis. Uh, but he's always, always, always wanted to be with an elite, amazing, great quarterback so he could show people what he's really capable of. If you plug him he, into the... So if you plugged him into the Chiefs, you're giving him a quarterback who has a command of the offense. And he's been here in Cleveland. He's had Baker trying to figure out what the hell Freddie Kitchens is, wants him to do on offense in one year. And then you have Baker trying to figure out Kevin Stefanski's offense over the first half of this past season. So right. that's a big difference, uh, not just in the ability of the quarterback, just the knowledge and understanding of the offense that that quarterback has. And as uh, Ellis pointed out in his uh, piece earlier this week, Beckham was open a lot. He just wasn't the guy that, that Baker was looking to. 
And o- Odell is a very different receiver than Tyreek Hill too. It wouldn't look the yeah. same. Right. Because Tyreek is a burner. Tyreek is all speed. What, what did he run? Is he, he's under four, three, right? What we've seen from Odell, you combine him with Patrick Mahomes and Mahomes working off schedule and Odell working with Mahomes off schedule. It, it would be an absolute nightmare for a defense. And, and Baker's not really an off schedule guy. We know that Baker will, you know, roll out of the pocket and make throws on the run and things like that, but it, it's just different than what Patrick Mahomes does. So yeah, I think Odell would thrive. There's a lot of guys that would thrive in Kansas city's offense. It would look different than Tyree kill because he's not the same player as Tyree kill, but he would absolutely thrive and, and put up just enormous numbers in that offense. Yeah. To add to Dan's point, we got to draw a line in the sand to Tyreek speed. And just when you're the best of the best, you're the best. It's like Usain Bolt is the fastest man on earth. And Tyson gave the sprinter was also really fast, you know, and they had an okay rivalry, but Usain Bolt was just the fastest man on earth. And that's what Tyreek Hill is on a football field to dance. Scott made a really great point about the fact that uh, o- Odell never got the best of, of Baker here at all. I mean, there've been, there've been a couple good versions of Baker and he's never been really around for them. And yet I think he was still able to do some pretty good things last season. And, and it looked like he was ready to leave it all out on the field like he did in the Dallas game. Uh, but not only did he not get the best of Baker uh, in his last couple of years here, but he got sort of the, you know, the back nine of Eli Manning in his last couple of years in New York. And which was the whole 100% reason he wanted out of there and actually went on ESPN and verbalized that, you know, this guy can't get the ball to me deep and, and all these kinds of things. I mean, he wanted to play with an elite quarterback, like whatever, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, maybe, you know, Josh Allen, somebody. So I I still think he's that special, special receiver. But like I said before, he's got to hurry up. He's got to really hurry up. All right. So another question I want to ask real quickly is if we saw other receivers change teams recently, if Stefan Diggs or DeAndre Hopkins had been the receiver who was traded to the Cleveland Browns for 2019, would they have had the exact same issues with Baker Mayfield and Freddie Kitchens that Odell did in 2019 or DeAndre Hopkins and Stefan Diggs been more productive, done more for the offense? Because I also struggle with that because again, we're, we're all we're doing all off season is having an Odell discussion and I love it. It's great. That's what we should be having, but we have to have different versions of the discussion. I at times struggle with, do you a hundred percent throw away 2019? for Odell like he's blameless he's zero he's only a victim he's no part of that when you see Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins and other guys sometimes those are the two big examples change teams and help their team right away he's an elite receiver he's a game he's a franchise changing kind of player and he didn't change the franchise not exactly now it doesn't mean I, we all know what happened but in this context where we're talking about the best receivers in the league he's blameless we talk about Stefan Diggs just flip Buffalo on its head. So I'll, I'll say this. I don't know. I'll, I'll say this. Stefan Diggs was playing in this exact Browns offense in 2019, had good numbers and still wanted to leave. You know, the, the Vikings had a top seven, eight offense a year ago, and we've seen how functional it is now, including that does protect Odell quite a bit just when comparing the offenses. And Stefan Diggs wanted – out of this offense anyway. And for DeAndre Hopkins, 
I think there's some issues there in Arizona, similar to a 2019 Browns. The Cardinals are a lot more explosive, but their offense got very predictable and just like, Hey, D hop, go beat this guy. And you saw Hopkins numbers suppress. So, so much of this is the offense and the quarterback and then the freak athlete taking over. And that's why I think you get a benefit of the doubt. And if you plug in Stefan Diggs in Cleveland, he probably is just as frustrated as he was in Minnesota. And Hopkins was already getting frustrated towards the end of the year last year in Arizona. But part of my point in, in 2019, Odell's PFF grade in Cleveland was 68. In 2020, DeAndre Hopkins' PFF grade in Arizona was 87. DeAndre was more, I mean, like in a difficult okay. situation, yeah. DeAndre did more. It, the, the Cardinals didn't make the playoffs. They weren't great. People criticized Cliff Kingsbury. DeAndre Hopkins helped the Cardinals more and helped Kyler Murray more than Odell helped Baker Mayfield on the Browns in 2019. I, I don't think that's in dispute. So, well, I right. understand. I understand where you're coming and, from. And those guys went before OBJ in this draft. I understand where you're coming from, Doug, but I, I do think that in the situations that you're talking about, I, you can't say that Odell is completely blameless in 2019, but Josh Allen was humming along. I mean, he, they had that offense completely down. By the time Stephon Diggs showed up last year, Josh Allen threw 37 touchdown passes against only 10 interceptions. So I don't think you can make the comparison to him connecting with Josh in an offense where, they, where he had continuity and where he really had his mojo down uh, to plugging in Odell Beckham Jr. to what has been described to me as the most dysfunctional running of an offense that most people have ever seen. And I'm, I'm talking about not just players saying this, okay? I, I don't think you can say that he's blameless, but I don't think that you can expect him to have walked into that dysfunctional situation. Baker was throwing the ball all over the yard. Okay. He, he was so off the mark on his passes because his mechanics were off. Uh, his, his footwork was off. The offense was off. I, I, if he, if, if Odell deserves much blame for 2019, it's a very small bit. And the same thing with, with, with Kyler Murray this year and DeAndre Hopkins, he was, there was continuity. I mean, at least, you know, Kyler wasn't, trying to figure out what the heck he was doing on every single play. I mean, there was some kind of a system going on. Josh Allen was not very good in 2019 and Josh Allen was unbelievable in 2020. And Baker Mayfield was pretty good at the end of his rookie year with Freddie calling the plays. And then they were not good in 2019. So I, I push back a little bit. I'm like, Baker was trending the right way with Freddie calling the plays. They brought in Odell Beckham Jr. And it all exploded. So I, I, I'm not saying Odell is first on the list. But Stefan Diggs lifted Josh Allen to another level. Josh Allen was not this Josh Allen. Brian Dayball and everything else around him also helped him get there. Again, I want Odell Beckham Jr. to be in Cleveland. I think he will be good in Cleveland. I believe in Odell Beckham Jr. I would not take him this high. And this is the last thing I want to hear from everybody here. This is not what this draft is. But And maybe everybody's already said this. If, if Andrew Barry came to every one of you and said, it's up to you, we can only keep one. We can only keep one. It's just the way the roster management works. Who are we keeping? It's up to you. Jarvis Landry or Odell Beckham. For this team, the way it's structured with this quarterback and this system. For 2021 only. Well, you're getting, you're getting them off the roster. I mean, like they're cutting one of them tomorrow and ending their Browns career. That's easy. You get rid of Landry because you're going to save a ton of money. And, All right. Uh, All right. You know, less All right. Sashi, over. Sashi. 
Can you chill, Sashi? All right, Sashi Jr. All right, fine. Not I've been saying that. that for months. All right, not that. Not the mo- whatever. Scott's not even phased by this question. I'm all stressed out. Like, so money is not. So here? money. Money is not an issue. Money is not the primary thing, and I money obviously is understand is money is an issue actually. But yes, okay, it's but a football question. It's just a football question. All right, I'll go. I. It, it, it makes it, it goes against everything I've written, but you I am such a believer and you also can't ruin momentum. You get rid of Odell and you that that needs to be a first round pick. And I know I'm baking this in and you replace his explosive talent. But with what Jarvis and Baker have going, it's it's the next closest thing is Richard and Baker. And I just think you're messing up too much if you pull that out of a, the offense and an offense that, that still needs continuity like. Mary Kay said into year two, you can't just pull that out from underneath Baker Mayfield. I can't believe I just said that. Well, you know what? This is a tough, tough call because if I had ever really seen that chemistry materialize between Baker and Odell, the way we all think it probably would now that Baker gets the offense and the coaches get him and we all think it would be better. I've never really 100% seen it. Those guys just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're going to get it. Uh, I already know that Jarvis and Baker have it. And I think you can build on that and then add in uh, one of these amazing receivers in the draft. I think you can get the job done with what you have. I would probably move on from Odell. If I had to take, have my choice between Jarvis and Odell, I would probably be keep Jarvis just because he and Baker uh, have their mojo. I mean, they've, they've got it. They, they have it down. I mean, if we're talking about getting rid of Odell or Jarvis and, and saying you're going into the season with what's left, I, I would rather see this team, what this team could do with Odell in that group instead of Jarvis, because we've seen how far they can go with Jarvis Higgins, DPJ. Um, and we saw the issues that that had. So I'd, I'd be interested in seeing what this group could be with Odell in that mix. If it meant not having Jarvis and they would, you know, maybe move Higgins to that role, but that to me, I mean, we've seen how far they can go. If you're not, it, I mean, if you want to get rid of Beckham and bring in someone else, great. Well, then what's the point in getting rid of him in the first place? But I would still, money or no money, I think I would probably get rid of Jarvis. Fascinating. The good question, they don't have to get yeah. rid of Jarvis. So that's the thing. It's a, it's a hard question. I, I think you'd rip the heart out of this team if you got rid of Jarvis. So, I mean, I think that's the hard part of it too. And I also don't know if you took Jarvis away, I don't know how happy Odell would be here without Jarvis. I think you'd, I think if you got rid of Jarvis, you'd get rid of half of Odell. That's a hard, there's a lot of things that that's not what this question is, but in the back of my mind, a little bit in a 20 receiver draft is I'm wondering about Jarvis Landry on this list. And I'm trying to, there's a way you assign value in a lot of different ways. And Jarvis on a list like this is different than Odell, but Jarvis on this team is different than Odell. So I just wanted to put you guys in the spot. I'm not going to answer that. Well, I, 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 picked <laughs> o- I picked Odell in the draft. I picked Odell in the draft, so I'm going to keep Odell on the Browns. I've talked about this in a number of pods already. There's only enough targets in this offense for two receivers. The third receiver is not going to get that many targets. So there's only enough targets for two receivers. And I want the, and especially if Higgins is going to be here, I can't have Higgins and Landry together. And then what, you know, I've got to come up with something there. So I'm keeping the more dynamic guy in Odell. And then I'm going to pair him with somebody like a Donovan Peoples-Jones or somebody I draft, something like that. If I'm looking to get more speed and I, and I think Odell's going to be healthy, then I'm going to keep Odell because the, you know, I want him to get all those targets. And I, like I said, if, 
Jarvis is going to be my third receiver or Higgins is going to be my third receiver, then I'm overpaying those guys. There's not enough targets for either of those guys. We are moving on here. Doug, pick number 13. This guy was 13th in PFF grade last year. The three previous years, he was third, third, and first. It's a question of, do you think he's fallen off the cliff? I don't think he's quite at the edge of the cliff yet. Let, yet. And with what he's done, I also think he maybe probably should have gone before now, and it's Julio Jones. He's 32. That's the, that's the issue, but he's done it forever. And again, if we did it a year ago, he would have gone by now. It's how much are you putting? Is this a blip, a little injury stuff, whatever? Is it a blip or is it the beginning of the end? But at 13, I'll bet on it's not the beginning of the end yet. And I'll feel good about this pick. And I would have taken him ahead of Odell. He, he was the guy I was going to take if I didn't take Odell. That's good. So let's- he's, he's one of the guys I had to move up and uh, figure out where he, he fit just because of the fact that he only played nine games. I did have him ahead of... DeAndre Hopkins. Don't sell down, Doug. Uh, let me throw, let me throw I this. I obviously had him ahead of, of Odell, too. I'll throw this at you. Here's another either-or question that's not nearly as high stakes as what we just did. But if you had to take one of those Falcons receivers, Jones or Ridley, who would you have had here? I would. Have, I had Jones higher than Ridley, but not by much. Uh, Ellis, would you have taken Ridley or would you have taken Jones? It's, it's a very difficult question. I wish Julio had a better injury history. Because, like, for example, Justin Jefferson just ranked his receivers this past offseason. He had Julio 1. I think DK DK Metcalf also put Julio 1. So, I mean, the players know best, right? That everyone still respects the OG that is Julio Jones. But if I'm getting 9, 10 games and playing three of those games hurt, if you get to 13, uh, give me Calvin Ridley. He can can do it all, and he's clearly up next in Atlanta. I had Calvin ahead of of Julio, and I think probably – a little bit of an age bias uh, for me, you know, receivers start to fall off the cliff and you really never know exactly what that cliff is going to look like and when they're going to fall off of it. Not that he's going to go precipitously down this year, but uh, 32 starting to get up there a little bit uh, for a receiver. So I think that's why I put Calvin ahead of him. Okay, Scott, you are up at number 14. Are there any other Vikings receivers I can take? (laughs) Are there any left? I haven't. Um, now, I'm going to go uh, with a guy who's actually number six on my board, Will Fuller of the Texans, 10th and PFF grade, eighth in DYAR. He didn't get a ton of targets, 11 games, but he caught 70% of them, 16.6 yards per catch. 38 of his 53 catches were for a first down. So if he's efficient, he's going to get paid this offseason to the free agent, that's for sure. I think he's a fraud. They traded DeAndre Hopkins. Deshaun Watson had to throw the ball to somebody. And they stunk. And they and then he he got what happened at the end of the year? He got suspended, right? And yeah. I don't were they much worse? Were they much worse without him? I think well, I don't he's, know how much I worse they could have gotten. But it's I think not like it's not like they kept throwing to him and throwing to him because he was the only guy there. He was catching a high percentage of passes thrown to him. It he it wasn't a you know, he got 140 targets and caught, you know, 70 of them. He's gonna get paid like a number one receiver, and the team that pays him is gonna regret it. So I, I, the only reason they're going to regret it is because of injury history. And it, it, perhaps it's coincidence where I'm saying the same thing about Fuller that I did about Julio Jones, but that would be the only thing. This guy is always hurt, whether it's a hamstring or a groin, it's always lower body. Cause he's a burner. He, he's a, he's an athletic freak. He is got number one receiver capability, but I, I am petrified of my stud guys not being available because of tweaks here and there. And he's top of this list when it comes to injury concerns. 
I, I, I had him on my list. I didn't have him this high on my list, but I, I did have him on my list here of, uh, of guys. He probably would have probably would have come up as an option for me on my next pick. Ellis, who do you have to wrap us up here in the third round? I'm going to go ahead and give me Keenan Allen. I, there might be a little more upside on this board, but to defend my own draft, I, I guess I've been drafting on upside this whole time. So give me a reliable um, hundred catch guy. He, he's just been underrated throughout his career. Most quite frankly, and there's not a route he can't run. Uh, there's some, there was a time probably two off seasons ago when he was flirting with that number one receiver uh, ranking. Another guy that does deal with some injuries, but not as much as the two we've named prior. Again, not a route he can't run. Uh, I loved him coming out of that, that class. Uh, instead, the Vikings took Laquan Treadwell and th- that did not go well. And, and Keenan Allen can just do it for a long time and he's still got plenty of good football left in him. I think everybody forgets about Keenan Allen. He's, he's always just the guy everybody forgets about because he's played in San Diego slash, slash Los Angeles. Yeah, he's, he's still really good. I uh, had him on my list. Again, sort, sort of like Fuller. Uh, not quite as high as this on my list, but he was certainly on my list. Okay, so our third round, DeAndre Hopkins, Hopkins goes 11th. Odell Beckham goes 12th. Julio Jones, 13th. Will Fuller, 14th. And Keenan Allen, 15th. So as we head into our final round here, there are still lots of good options. I'm looking at my big board here, and I'm loving the options I'm going to have at 17. So Mary Kay, kick us off here, number 16. Yeah, I'm keeping afraid that I'm going to say this name, and he's already going to be gone. But Allen Robinson's still on the board, isn't he? That's who I wanted. I didn't want to. <laughs> uh, okay. So Alan Robinson, I, I had him actually, I had him at number 10. Uh, so I feel like I'm getting some pretty good value here. Uh, PFF had him at, at number five, 102 catches, 1,250 yards, only six TDs. Again, I don't love that. I like TD production a little bit more than that. And, and, and this is a situation where, you know, you're not, you know, you have to be good in, in a difficult, you know, in a difficult situation. You're not playing with Tom Brady. You're not playing with Patrick Mahomes. You're not playing with, with Russell. Um, so I, he stood out to me in this situation. Good size, 27 years old, good upside. Uh, I like him here at, at number 16. You're being too nice saying that you're not playing with Tom Brady. You're not playing with Russell Wilson. It goes beyond <laughs> You're playing with Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky, and you're putting up a thousand yards consistently 1400 yards in 2015, uh, 1100 yards last year, 1200 yards. I'm sorry, 1100 yards in 2019, 1200 yards last year. And this guy has never, never had a good quarterback going into football. Yeah. And all he's done is produce. Isn't it crazy how it's about where you land? Like Brandon Cooks has played with Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Sean McVay. No, I say Sean McVay and not Jared Goff and Deshaun Watson. And then we're talking about Allen Robinson here. Uh, you're such a product of your circumstances, and it's been a tough goal for Robinson. A Rob, I hope he can uh, find a good landing spot this year in free agency. Can he end up in Baltimore? Should Browns fans paid. be worried? Should Browns fans be worried about that? Yeah, that'd be beautiful. That'd be beautiful. All right, Lamar needs him. That was the guy I was eyeballing. I was hoping Mary Kay wasn't going to take him because I had him right here on my big board. But I still love uh, the guys that I have to choose from here. Uh, Ellis, you had mentioned Brandon Cooks. I was looking at him. He's, he's on my list. He's another one of those guys like Keenan Allen who has not really – he's kind of flown under the radar. He's played for a bunch of different teams, sort of flown under the radar. I'm going to take Amari Cooper here. 27 years old, five of six seasons over 1,000 yards – 
115.8 when targeted, but going back to 2018, 117.3 in 2019. His 2020 pace with Dak, 125 catches, 1,357 yards, and he's been productive both in Oakland and Dallas. This is something we've talked about with guys, right, when they've been productive in two places. He would have had an absolutely enormous year had Dak stayed healthy in that offense that was just putting up video game numbers uh, just to stay in games. Maybe that's a check against him. The offense he was playing in kind of allows you to put up big numbers, but I think Amari Cooper is a really good receiver. So I'm going to grab him here. Yeah. I think he's the standard that receivers like this cost to one, you know, like they cost a first round pick to get when the Raiders and Cowboys did that two, three years ago. Now people kind of scoffed at it. And then he, you know, unlocked Dak. Dak finally had that number one option, and it's sort of set the standard that guys like that don't blink twice. They're worth they're worth that number one pick. I had him on my list, Dan. I I had him. He came in at number twenty on my big board, uh, but I had him on there. And I think just because when you're just talking about those elite type Pro Bowl caliber receivers, he just always comes to mind for me. And, and a few years ago, I was scared to death that you know you know I watched him one year, and he just dropped the ball a lot. And I was scared to death. The Browns yeah. would have given up a first round pick for him. I didn't want him to do it. Wouldn't have been the worst thing that they, that they could have done. They ended up giving up that first round pick for Odell Beckham uh, eventually, but I had definitely ended up being wrong on that one. He's continued to produce in Dallas and has become a, a really, really nice receiver. Doug, you're up at number 18. There's a couple guys here who, you know, I, I'm kind of asking myself, are we sure they're not better than their teammate who has already been picked? And I think there are three guys that that applies to here. Mm -hmm. I also am tempted to pick an Ohio state guy, but I don't want to be the guy who always picks Ohio state guys. I am going to go pick the guy that now the way the discussion went around my last pick, I'm kind of surprised that this guy is still here for me, right? He's still here for me, his teammate. I'm going to take Calvin Ridley. I took Julio Jones. Some people said, Oh, you should have taken Calvin Ridley. So I'll take, I'll take Calvin Ridley, young guy, super productive. I don't know, like on the rise, right? So I took an old guy who might be heading towards a cliff, but whenever it does end for Julio Jones in Atlanta, then Calvin Ridley will be a number one receiver for receiver for Justin Fields to throw to after they pick uh, the Falcons pick Justin Fields. So mm-hmm. I like Ridley here. Yeah, it was, it was going to be him or him or Cooper for me. I had him at number 17. I like, as I mentioned, I had him ahead of Julio. Uh, maybe because of an age thing. I had him right around here. Yeah, I had him at 17th as well, so makes sense. Can, can I just say, though, that Atlanta offense does scare me a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always been like that fantasy football offense, and you know, guys go there and put up numbers. Now, I think Jones and Ridley are, are legit guys, uh, but some guys, like Austin Hooper, when they leave that offense and go into a different style of offense, they're not going to put up quite the numbers uh, that they did in Atlanta. Okay, we are up to Scott at number 19. The number seven guy on my board is still out there, which I'm surprised, um, but maybe not surprised. Corey Davis of the Titans, eighth in uh, PFF grade, 13th DYAR. You know, he only had 90 targets, but 2.6 yards per route run, which is even better than Stephon Diggs. And Ryan Tannehill, 123.6 passer rating when, when targeting him. He had a good season. I mean, for him, it's about, you know, building on that and doing it again. But he's my, my number seven guy, so I'll take him here. Yeah, the, the only reason I, I haven't taken Davis, the only thing I'm worried about with Davis is this was kind of his one year. 
And, and I'm sure there's other guys on this list we can make that case for, but the Titans didn't even pick up his fifth year option, but he had a great year at the right time. And I think he might end up being the receiver that we thought he might be coming out of college. I, I just have one question about Corey Davis and that's, is he good? <laughs> I, I don't know. He was they're, good last year. They're a running team. They're Derrick Henry. He's not their number one receiver. That's for sure. It's AJ Brown, right? I mean, couldn't you plug a lot of random dudes into that spot and get some production when there is no there? He has no responsibility in that offense. You could say the same thing about all the Browns receivers. I mean, it's the same deal. And he might end up here in Cleveland. Who knows? Corey <laughs> Davis might wind up in Cleveland for real. What? Corey Davis is going to wind up in Cleveland. Now I feel worse. These analytics are ruining football. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, I keep reminding people, you can only have so many receivers in this offense. You can only pay so many guys at, at some point. Uh, Ellis, finish us up here, and then I want to find out who else you guys have on your list. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. All right. I will – I'll save them for honorable mention. I want to do something fun here, but I'll mention them in the honorables. Uh, it, it's got to be Chris Godwin. He's still there, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, go play the catch he had against Green Bay in the – I think it was the third quarter really opened the game up down the field. I think 42 yard grab. Uh, he's only 24 years old. He's about to get paid this off season, whether he's franchise tagged or going to be a, a 20 mil a year receiver. Uh, he's next to reset this market. Uh, just won a Super Bowl. This team, the Tampa would be silly to let him go, but they also kind of an abundance of riches there and some other issues. Again, at 24 years old, I don't think you can go wrong. And you can make a case that he's the best receiver in Tampa Bay, despite two of them already being off the board. And I have one of them on my team. So we got a system now. Really high grade in 2019. Um, I, th- I think he was, was he the top receiving grade in 2019 by PFF? He was, he was up there. Uh, he was second, second receiving yeah. grade in 2019 behind Michael Thomas. So this is a guy that, that is really, really good. And again, another guy that I think will benefit from a second year with Tom Brady. Can I, I agree with this again. This is, this is one of the guys I was talking about with the better receivers. I even forgot Antonio Brown was, was off the board. So he's the third Tampa receiver off the board. (laughs) This is not good, smart football thinking. He had two targets for nine yards. No, two catches for nine yards on four targets in the Super Bowl. And it's just a little bit like, well, you know what I mean? All right. I get it. Gronk went nuts and they gave the ball to Leonard Fournette and Antonio. So that, that, Again, it's hard, right? It's hard. I mean, because like, you know, I mean, there's if are you so great your team like wins a Super Bowl without you? It doesn't even matter that you're on the field while they win the Super Bowl. That's a hard way to judge. It's like, oh, there's too many good players on your team. So I'm not going to pick you. But this is an interesting. And again, Tyler Lockett's the other guy from Seattle in this mix here to me of when I pick Ridley, I was thinking about Lockett, Godwin and uh, Ridley. And I think you could make the argument that, yeah, actually, Godwin was the third receiver taken in Tampa Bay here. I think you could make an argument that he could have been the first one taken. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, so I want to hear real quick who you guys had on your list that you didn't pick or didn't get picked. And then I want to have one more real quick discussion. We're going to have a little Jarvis Landry discussion here. Uh, but I want to hear your guys' list. So let me give you some names on mine. You mentioned Tyler Lockett. He was on my list. Brandon Cooks is a guy I mentioned. I put DJ Moore on here. I didn't really expect to pick him, but uh, I put him on here. And then I mentioned this earlier, I have a kind of a list where I didn't do a ton of legwork on guys, but just guys I like. Corey Davis was on that list. Cooper Cup is a guy that, you know, when you watch the Rams, you, you can't help but not like the guy. 
And then Debo Samuel, who Ellis, we talked about him earlier this week on a podcast. I, I had him on my list as well. Not necessarily guys I would have taken as like, oh, that's a top 20 guy in the league, but had my list kind of gotten cleaned out and I needed to, to pull up some names. Those are, those are some of the names I would have put in there. I'm a little surprised Tyler Lockett did not get picked. Scott, who else did you have on your list? Cole Beasley. He was number 10 Good one. Uh, on my list from the Bills. Uh, I had Brandon Cooks 19th and I had Jarvis and Antonio Brown actually tied for 20th. So if we'd gotten that far and everybody else had been picked, I would have had a decision to make at some point, but Landry was, he just snuck in there. If yeah, you I've had Jarvis, picked Jarvis on my list too, Doug, who did you have? If you had picked Cole Beasley in a draft of the 20 best receivers in the NFL, I would have canceled. Gotta watch the tape. This, <laughs> I mean, this is one of the, I mean, for real, I know the guy got like a second team all pro vault. So he's like second team all pro. Are you stinking kidding me? We are getting in the zone here of like plug in moderately competent guy X into a system and he'll do what he's going to do. So that we are in that range of names right here, which is why I think Jarvis Landry is better than randomly competent dude that you plug into a system. Now, Ellis is going to make a point. There is a lot of what Jarvis Landry does. I think that is a part of his system. The numbers he put up in, in Miami is like, listen, they just kept throwing him the ball and it wasn't huge production, but as a football player and what he brings to a team, I think he brings more the one guy. And I'll say it again. Now, the guy who stands out to me here as more than that is Terry McLaurin talking about a guy who plays at a team who has no quarterback play. He's their best receiver. He has no quarterback. And he had a thousand receiving yards. I think in two years we do a thing like this. And I think Terry McLaurin might be in the top 10. Mm -hmm. If you get him a quarterback, he's fast. He's a great route runner. He's a great guy. I think his hands are good enough. And if we're talking about, you know, again, in this mix of, I don't DJ Moore. I don't care about DJ Moore, Corey, I, Corey David, give Terry, give me Terry McLaurin with some pieces around him. I think that guy's shown that he's got it. Cole Beasley caught 80% of his passes, had a better yard uh, per catch average than, than Landry, had more touchdowns and more first downs and more catches in the same amount of games. Scott wants Mary to kill, got to watch the tape. <laughs> Mary Kay, who's on Just your saying. list? All right, well, I, I have a player on my list that I'm sure nobody else had on their list, but I've just, I've watched the player enough. I like his potential and, and, and I'm, I'm just going by sheer ability and talent and it's chase claypool i like chase claypool uh as, as a wide receiver i think he's he's got a great career in front of him i don't know who his quarterback's and i mean he, maybe he'll still be with ben next year but i just think he's good so he is on my list he was on my list of top 20 and some of the other guys we're talking about i had you know if everybody got crossed off i have other guys that we have come across but i also had jarvis landry on my list at number 19 I think he belongs in this top 20 list for some of the reasons that we've talked about on this pod, including some of the things that Doug just said. I mean, if you're putting your football team together and you're looking for a wide receiver that is going to get you where you want to go, I think he's a guy that can do it. I believe that one of the, one of the rookies that will be drafted this year are going to end up making some noise and do really well this year. So I just threw one on there, just sort of in the vein of a Justin Jefferson. And for purposes of this, I, I, I haven't really studied them all the way that I will over the next couple of weeks, but um, Devonta, Devonta Smith from Alabama is the one that I, that I put in here thinking that one of these guys is going to end up 
uh, making a lot of noise. And then I also had Tyler Lockett. I think Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddell all have a chance to be in a group like this a year from now. Mm -hmm. This is a really strong receiver group. And I I think those three guys, especially Mary Kay is right on it. Mm -hmm. Ellis, who's left off on your list? No one took Kenny Galladay, right? Detroit Lions. Yeah. So being the Midwest kid, I'll show him some love. Uh, His nickname was, was, is Minitron and not because he's small in stature. He just was younger when Calvin Johnson was still around. Um, Kenny Galladay can do it all. Uh, Scott mentioned the article he wrote on Donovan Peoples-Jones and Richard Higgins that I recommend everyone go check out. And in that article, he focused a little bit on uh, yards per route run. It's a great stat that tells you a lot about how these receivers are both deployed and their skill set. Galladay ranks 10th at 2.47 yards uh, per route run. He's got the catch radius, the size about 6'2", 6'3". He's another guy that's either going to get franchise tagged uh, or paid this offseason. So he deserves mentioning. I agree with everything on uh, Scary Terry. I love that Mary Kay shouted out Chase Claypool. That's the guy who I was going to draft because I wanted to have a Claypool conversation at the end of this pod, but we're doing it anyway. Trust Mary Kay Cabot's eyes. They they tend to be accurate. I don't think he'll lead the Steelers in receiving yards next year. That's probably going to be Deontay Johnson just with a volume thing. But in got to have it moments, red zone, clutch downs, Chase Claypool's the matchup problem. Uh, he's going to have a, a successful career in this league. Um, just, and then, just wait until he gets a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's yeah. talented. He's so yep. talented. Yeah, he's going to be a problem. So between those three, like I said, Galladay, McLaurin, Claypool, um, and Colby Beasley, I really respect what he does. It might be a little bit more of a Josh Allen thing there, but among those four and the rookies, uh, they all could have been in here somewhere. Five minutes here. We're going to have a Jarvis Landry discussion. Five minutes. That's all we're doing. <laughs> we'll see. Jarvis did not make our top 20 in this draft. No one took him. He was on, he was on all of our lists, but none of us actually took him. My question with Jarvis is, are there just certain situations where he's going to be more valuable than in other situations? So here in Cleveland, Jarvis is really valuable. He's been really important to Baker. Baker's first career completion went to Jarvis. We love to talk about that Rashard Higgins Baker connection. I think the Baker-Jarvis connection is even more important. When when Baker makes tough throws, he goes to Jarvis almost every time when he makes a tough throw. Think about that touchdown against the Giants, right? David Njoku trips, doesn't throw to him. He makes this tight window throw to Jarvis. How many tight window throws did he make in Jacksonville to Jarvis? That Baker-Jarvis connection is unbelievable. So Jarvis is really important in Cleveland. Now, at some point, the Browns are going to have to make a decision on who to pay and who not to pay and, and when to move on from him and, and all of that stuff. He's, he's been important in the locker room. I think he'd be important in a place like New England, right? I think he'd fit great in a culture and, and, a, and, and an offense like New England that, that values that versatility. But I just wonder, is Jarvis just one of those guys? Like Miami didn't want him anymore. Miami didn't know how to use him. He was just the slot guy that caught short passes and ran with the football. Then he comes here and his career kind of takes, goes to that next level. Is he just a guy that's more valuable in certain places than he would be in other places? Maybe you can say that about a lot of guys, but I just think specifically to Jarvis. Is that sort of how we view him or is that not fair? No, I don't think that's right. I mean, what do you mean Miami didn't know how to use him? I don't think they wanted to pay him, right? But I mean, the guy like led the NFL in catches. He was like in the top 10 in PFF grade, like his best years in Miami. He was like the, he was like the focal point of the offense of a not very good team. Right. And then he came to Cleveland. All they kind of did was line him up in the slot and throw short to him though. They didn't do near. But like, are you poo-pooing like 110 catches? Like, what are you, what is your point that he wasn't what? 
he wasn't on a very good team that the discussion is okay. They get, they got rid of him. Well, teams move on from guys for money reasons for all kinds of all the time. And, and if you're thinking about, well, is he worth whatever the top end money that the stats might get? I get it, but that's not the only discussion. Was he a good productive football player in Miami who helped his team? I don't think that's in dispute. Is it? Of course he was. So he was good on a bad team. You just said he'd be great in new England. And he's like the heartbeat of the Browns. And the Browns went from the worst team in the league to a playoff team while he was here. So I guess my argument is he fits everywhere. Okay. Stats, so why didn't no. so why so why didn't you take him? Why didn't you draft him? Because athletic ability, top end stuff, top, top, top end athletic ability, it's not there. Reliability, help your team win. We went four rounds. We went 20 receivers. If we had gone 30 receivers, I'm sure he would have been picked. If we had gone 25 receivers, I think he might have been picked. I think we stopped right at the Jarvis Landry edge, but I think that's more a result of he's not like a true number one, but he is a winning receiver in a lot of different ways. And his value extends beyond his stats and into the locker room, which we've all witnessed firsthand and talked about a lot. So I don't, I'm not arguing that he should have gone any higher, but I think he's right here. And I'd take him ahead of Cole Beasley. <laughs> and you know what? Here, here's another thing. When you look at, Jarvis Landry in Miami, it was 100% a personality conflict between him and Adam Gase. Adam Gase hated Jarvis. Landry. I mean, they, he couldn't wait to get rid of Jarvis Landry. And it's, it, you know, now when you, you get to know Jarvis and you wonder like what happened there. Uh, but so that was just that type of a situation. As far as Jarvis coming here, I also, I agree. I think Jarvis would be great anywhere. And as we were having this discussion, which I'm glad we're having it, I wish somebody would have picked him in the top 20. Again, I would have picked him. I probably would have picked him next. I probably could have picked him uh, before I picked someone else or, you know, my last pick, Allen Robinson or something, because I think he is that valuable to an offense. And in the right situation, in the right situation, I still think he is capable of, three or four more Pro Bowls. And if he did get those three or four more, more Pro Bowls, you're starting to have to talk about him in a Hall of Fame context because he's done some pretty darn amazing things in his career. I actually think he has Hall of Fame receiving ability when you're just talking about making tough, contested catches. All of a sudden, you're looking at the ball and you're wondering where it's going to end up. And it's in his hands. I mean, he makes incredible receptions, catches that most guys cannot make when somebody's draped all over him. And I, th I think in the right situation, I mean, he's had to go through Baker's growing pains. He had to go, he had to live through Freddie last year. He had to live through Fr Baker learning the offense this year. He, if he had been with an amazing quarterback throughout his career, I think his career would have been, I think he'd be en route to, to the Hall of Fame. Ellison Scott, give us a couple quick minutes here on Jarvis and then we got to run. Dan, I'm going to come to your side here on the whole Miami point with Jarvis real quick. The issue with Jarvis in Miami on the field, I'm going to just speak to that, was his yards per reception, yards per target. Either way you look at it, not impressive. Uh, 6.1 uh, the year he caught 112 balls. And that was, and then his rookie year is 6.8. He did get up to uh, 8.7 in between that, but that was the issue of just using him uh, around the line of scrimmage and, 
and not expanding his game and coming to Cleveland. And earlier in his Miami career, he showed he was capable of that in comparison really the only players in the league this year that have numbers comparable to that. Uh, it's a long list of running backs. So we're just talking check down game and, and short stuff that it makes it easy to defend and leads to three and outs. You're not moving the football. Jarvis Landry now in Cleveland, as we project 2021 and forward, I agree with everything Mary Kay just said. He has a, a top flight skill set he means so much to this football team. And I picked Odell or excuse me, I picked Jarvis over Odell. If we were going to keep him for one year, though, I like Scott's premise of like, perhaps this team is capped with what Jarvis Landry is. Let's see what they can be with Odell. I, I see both sides of that argument. The thing with Jarvis and where I think he's going to run into issues as he gets later in his career here. And the problem the Browns are going to run into is who's going to want to pay him because the NFL draft, as we just mentioned with the three guys at the top of this board and as we studied the, the, the prospects last year, the college football has just given us 10, 12, 15 receivers a year now, really with Jarvis Landry's skill set. Now, what they're not giving you, and it's impossible to find out till about year two or three, is someone with Jarvis Landry's leadership skills, his work ethic, his heart, his focus, his obsessiveness with the game. That's the kind of stuff you don't know about a prospect until you're, they're in your building for two or three years. But this is a cutthroat business GMs are going to draft the skill set and replace a guy like Jarvis and then perhaps miss because they don't have Jarvis's intangibles, but they're cheaper. And you saw it on, on paper and on tape that they could do what Jarvis could do. The point is that Jarvis has the best parts of Jarvis to, I think what Dan was Dan's point was, is that they're really, you can't quantify them. It's the stuff that doesn't show up on a stat sheet being the heart and soul of a football team and just being a, a player that it, you can't deny that's this type of stuff that doesn't show up in a draft. But if we're talking on field skill set, eventually the younger player is going to take his spot because he doesn't have the measurables that, you know, the four, three forty speed or the, the six, two frame that you look for in a receiver yet. He's proven an entire over his entire career. So Jarvis Landry to this point still has good football left in him. I'm just worried about how he ages at the position considering all the, influx of receivers a college football game brings in i've always wanted to say this i'm gonna put on my best uh tv news voice here scott you get the last word (laughs) (laughs) awesome i think landry wasn't picked on our list because we tend to value uh slot receivers a little less than uh outside receivers Uh, you look at the the guys who are on our boards and the guys who weren't picked even uh, when we went through it after the fact but i mean landry was basically this year he was what he was in miami except that he didn't see as many targets. But if you go by like catch rate and yards per reception and first downs, I mean, he was basically the same guy, but he was a little more efficient in his last few years here than he was in Miami because he didn't have as many targets and he was making a little more of them here. And I still stand by, he's the guy that, that you move on from first before Odell. I think as far as off the field goes, like if, if you take him out of the locker room and things fall apart, well, then you got issues. There are enough guys, I think, now in that Browns locker room to where you can lose a guy like Landry and not have things fall apart. So I don't think that should be something that tilts things one way or the other as far as how you think of Odell's worth here or Landry's worth here. I just I think they're, they should be at a point as a franchise where they're past needing and depending on someone like that in their locker room. So, But he's still productive. 
I still had him at 20th. He was right there on the cusp. He just, you know, I don't think he's, he's someone that we we're going to put definitely in that top 20 group across the board yet. I'm ruining Dan's thing here. His seven years in the league, six of his seven years in the league, he's ranked in the top 18 of receivers in PFF grade. He's, he's just super consistent. Could you imagine? I, mean, I just think, I mean, put him consistently with a really, really good quarterback, an established good quarterback for much of his career or even for four, four years of his career. And I just think he would have been completely 100% lights out and not just shorter routes and those kind of things. Yeah, Julian Edelman's got three Super Bowls playing like that. And I get your point. I knew you guys couldn't help yourselves. I knew it. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're okay. burying the lead though, Dan. We're burying the lead of this whole exercise. And that is, it has completely ruined analytics for Doug. <laughs> I thought it couldn't be done. I thought it couldn't be done. <laughs> I know. And, and Scott is so cold and calculated that he's like, hey, this locker room better be fine with Darius Landry. Hard and intangibles. Who cares? And he makes fair points. I can't argue against it. <laughs> All right. Here's, here's our teams. Mary Kay ends up with Devontae Adams, Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, and Allen Robinson. I end up with Stefan Diggs, A.J. Brown, Odell Beckham, and Amari Cooper. Scott lands Justin Jefferson, uh, Adam Thielen, Will Fuller, Corey Davis, Doug landed Tyreek Hill. Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley, and Ellis, DK Metcalf, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen, and Chris Godwin. There's a lot of good receivers in the NFL. That's what I learned from doing this. Okay, uh, thanks everybody for uh, listening. And of course, thanks Scott, Mary Kay, Ellis, and Doug for jumping on here doing our wide receiver draft on our Friday roundtable. Make sure you're subscribed to Football Insider. It's the blue banner at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash browns. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We do daily pods and, and the week always wraps up with this big round table. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen. Thanks for listening, everybody. 